Good evening, good afternoon, or indeed a very good morning, wherever in the world you're joining us from to this, I think it's the 20th CJ Cinema Summit. My name is Patrick, and as always, we bring this to you courtesy of Cellular Junkie, together with our very good partners, Film Grail and The Big Picture. Thank you for choosing to spend this time with us. We continue living between the sessions on the community forum, which is community.cjcinemasummits.com. So any topics or issues are always brought up there and welcome there for discussion. And finally, if there's anything you want to tell us, if you want to tip us off on any topic or any speakers and anything, you can always do that by emailing us. The email is tips at celluloidjunkie.com. We've got such a great lineup today. And it's not just because today is a Canadian special. Yes, we're going north of the border and we're going to talk to two of the key people who are shaping the cinema scene in Canada. But we also have the usual global overview and we've got a special welcome back, Gower Street's analytics, Dimitrios. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome my co-host, Sperling Reich. Hello, Sperling. Hi, Patrick. How are you? Good to see you. Always a pleasure doing this with you. Now, let's get straight to the global overview. I suppose the biggest story is that a date we had all been waited for was finally announced. And what is that date and for whom, more importantly? I believe this year's election is November 4th, <laughs> if that's what you're referring to. And by the way, it was mentioned here first that it, I believe it's August 27th is the date in 70 countries when Tenet, a film that I hope for Christopher Nolan's sake is his best film ever because we've been talking about it now for so long. There's so much, you know, high expectations for this film. So August 27th in Europe and then September 3rd after Labor Day here in the United States, but it will be rolling out in 70 territories before it ever hits the United States. And by the way, it doesn't have a date in China, but it has been approved in China, which also means that the rule that you could only show films under two hours in China, now that those theaters have started to open up, is actually not going to be the case, which we kind of discovered after Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone was approved and booked into theaters that are reopened. I'm sure Christopher Nolan is very relieved that he won't be showing the airline version of Tenet in China. But no, we're super thrilled about that. And obviously, Tenet is an important title. By the way, I should say on that date, on the first point, you might have missed the recent tweet in the last hour from President Trump that he thinks maybe November is not the best time to hold an election. But let's not wade into that. You know, we want to stay north of the border as much as we can in today's session. But there are other films as well. Significantly, we had. Peninsula, which is a sequel to Korean zombie monster hit Train to Busan, which was number one in seven territories across Asia, not just in Korea, obviously, but everywhere from Singapore to Mongolia. And another surprise hit actually was in Spain. Sperling, can you tell us a little bit about it and why it is so special? I actually happen to love the name of this film, and I really do think that there must be something lost in translation here, because the name of the film is Father, There Is Only One, Two. So it's the second film, in, and I guess Father, There Is Only One was the first film. I really want to see these films now. Uh, Santiago Segura is the director, was released yesterday, July 29th, by Sony Pictures International Releasing, and when that date was announced, I believe Variety said it was a bold, new, daring strategy, moving up a date, not postponing a date. I thought, you know, when I read the, the article, I was going to hear about a bold, new strategy. They're releasing a movie. That is a daring strategy these days to begin with. But it made, in its first day, 465,000 euro, 
And for those doing the math, that's 548,000 US dollars. And for those wondering, that is a 60% increase over the first day gross of the first film. So that's actually a pretty positive sign. That is hugely positive. And let's see now with Tenet coming up, if the numbers are better than anybody expected, although we're not sure how to benchmark a success, frankly, in the time of COVID. Maybe some of the titles which have moved on to 2021 will return to 2020. Who knows? We live in hope. But this is one of the topics that I covered in the conversation I had yesterday with the CEO of Gower Street Analytics, Dimitrios, who's got his finger firmly on the pulse of how the markets are recovering and coming back all over the world. We've spoken to him before, and we were super thrilled when he agreed to come back on the show to talk to us. Hello, Dimitrios. It's great to have you back on the CJ Cinema Summit. Great to be here, Patrick. Thank you for having me. Now, a lot of things have happened since we last spoke, and a lot of things have happened in the past week in terms of Hollywood titles shifting, dates for tenant confirmed. So can you talk us through in terms of from Gower Street Analytics perspective, how does the rest of the cinema year 2020 look? Sure. Let's start by saying where we are right now first. Right now, we are unfortunately at $17 billion behind our three-year average globally. And that's $5 billion is coming from the US, $4.5 from China, and the rest about $7.7 from the rest of international. What's really encouraging right now is that uh, we see a number of territories in the Far East opening up. We know that, for example, Taiwan is at 76% in terms of market share, cinemas open. The same number uh, for Singapore, Malaysia is at 96, Japan is at 95, and so on. But of course, we know that Latam is practically closed, and the domestic market is at 10%, and the UK, only 22% of the cinemas in terms of market share are open. But in the rest of Europe, the numbers are looking better. We have in Spain, 69% of the cinemas are currently operational in terms of market share. In Germany, it's 76. In France, it's 97. Netherlands, the same, and so on. So we do see that things are slowly getting better. In terms of projections, our latest projections for 2020, that include Tenet, but exclude, of course, Milan, because it's, as of now, undated, show that on the domestic side, we're looking at about 4.5 billion in terms of box office. Now, this, and just to put the number into perspective, this is what we did domestically in 1991. So this is taking us back 30 years. So this is clearly very serious, as we all know. Internationally, we're currently thinking that we may do 10 to $11 billion internationally, which takes our global box office to about 15 billion or so. And just to put this into perspective, Last year, we did almost uh, 32 billion. Now, of course, these numbers are based on the current calendar. As we know, it's not set in stone in any way. We do hope that some films come back to the calendar when distributors and studios see that the situation is improving. But I guess we have to be prepared for the worst. So added to that mix, we now also have the announcement that AMC have cut a deal with Universal for a premium video-on-demand window of just 17 days. So how does that impact um, the perspective from your perspective? Well, 
the 17 days, to me as an analyst, translate to approximately 80-82% in terms of the box office that the films would normally take in their theatrical run. So this is a deal that, of course, we translated in different ways. I believe that while we're not privy to the details of the deal, we all know that AMC is fighting for survival like everyone else. And while we are surprised about the deal, the one thing that's clear is the other presents. And I think we are heading towards uh, an accelerated evolution of our business practices. I think this is something that we have to all actively start thinking about, that when we go back to a life without pandemic, from a business perspective, is not going to be business as normal. That's a very good point, actually. And I wanted to follow up by asking, obviously, Hollywood is holding back titles. We're also not seeing the big Chinese blockbusters coming out now that cinemas are reopening there. Um, and also, even in France and UK, titles are missing in action from smaller distributors. What are you seeing in the rest of the world in terms of non-Hollywood titles for the rest of the year? We see that some of the smaller distributors and the local producers are getting a little bit more bullish in terms of their behavior and their approach. Uh, what they see is that there is uncertainty right now, and even if they move their title to, say, November, December, January, it doesn't mean that uh, this is a safer environment. Because, of course, either we're going to be in a much better situation business-wise and in any perspective, and then that period is going to be busy with invested titles, or we are going to have to move uh, titles again. So from their point of view, they're happy to take plans and release films earlier. And I believe this is very wise. I think that we are going to have uh, one film that is going to be the clear winner in this pandemic. There is going to be one film that's going to open, and it's going to attract cinema borders in all countries, and it's going to do amazing results. So we expect to see uh, this film. Yeah, this is going to be. On a country-by-country country basis, of course, we've seen that in the Paris that results look interesting. On our reports that we are producing, we can see that these regions are actually slowly going past the uh, third stage. And I'll, I'll talk about these reports in a second. And we also see that uh, in countries like Spain, for example, we have big local productions opening. So the main title uh, is coming this week. And it actually opens on Wednesday. And this could be the title that changes the narrative. A final question for you then, which is once Tenet comes out, which we now know is going to be 26th of August for most of the world, do you anticipate that other studios, other Hollywood studios, might change their minds and switch their titles back to earlier and to this year again so we can see some positive changes of dates? Yes, I do. I really hope that the release of Tenet and all the other films that are on an August or September date are successful, because that will raise the confidence and we will see uh, films moving into 2020 uh, rather than out. One thing I would like to say, also Patrick, is that in our efforts as Gower Street to help the industry, is that we're currently publishing our weekly report, uh, The Road to Recovery, which is available on our website for free. Downloads. Uh, your users, your audience can just log in and sign up and they'll get it. And this is a report that we send to produce on a weekly basis 
for domestic, it's state by state, for international, it's country by country. And we are trying to show everyone where the pandemic is, what is happening from a, an industry perspective, how many cinemas are open and how well they are performing, uh, which titles are performing well and uh, why. And it's a free report. I can definitely vouch for that. It's a terrific report. And I, I read it every week and learn so much from it. So I heartily recommend people to visit your website, Gower State Analytics, and to sign up and download it and read it. But Demetrius, thank you very much again for coming on and talking to us. We continue to live in hope, and I'm sure we will have you back again soon. So thank you very much for talking to us. Do download the report. They really have some of the best numbers in the business. Maybe it doesn't have the best microphone. We're definitely going to have to work on that in the future with Demetrius because we do want to have him back. But seriously, thank you very much. Now we move on to the main segment of this summit, and we are super thrilled to be going over to the Americas. A lot of things happening in both the South and North America. So obviously, we've heard Sao Paulo and Brazil has just opened its cinemas. We learned from Fabio Lima on the 27th. But it's north that we're going to go. In fact, the great white north, north of the border, and in Canada, and talking to some of the key movers and shakers. So we are very thrilled to be joining us, two prominent guests for this session. First of all, I would like to welcome to the CJ Cinema Summit, Nuria Bronfman from the Movie Theatre Association of Canada. Hi, Patrick. Thanks for having us today. Thank you very much for coming on. And I should point out that Nuria was one of our top women in global cinema for 2020 this year. So well-deserved recognition for her work in Canada and in the Americas. Secondly, we have a man who is known to millions, actually perhaps more of a household name than pretty much any other cinema owner that I can think of by virtue of not just being a cinema owner, but he is an entrepreneur. He is a philanthropist, and of course, he's a famous television personality, having appeared on Canada's Dragon Den, better known as Shark Tank, south of the border. So welcome to the CJ Cinema Summit, Vincenzo Guzzo. How are you, Patrick? How are everybody else? We're good, thank you. We're super thrilled to have you over. Sperling, as somebody looking up from California on Canada, a lot of questions that we could throw to our neighbors up there. Uh, do you want to start us off? I wouldn't even know where to begin. I mean, uh, I would imagine the topic everybody is talking about, and certainly we talked about it yesterday, Vincenzo, and that is AMC decided that they were going to post a press release that got a little bit of attention by, it seems, everyone on earth. To me, the news is overblown, but what do you think of AMC's agreement with Universal Pictures to release films 17 days? Well, actually, they're not going to release them. It's Universal that has the right to release films, premium video on demand, $20, 17 days after their theatrical release. What do you think of that? Look, I think that deal will never close. I don't think Adam Aaron will be president of AMC by the time the closing gets done. And I'm hoping a cleanup gets done at Universal Studios and enough is enough. I mean, I think the reaction everybody's had in L.A. is, what happened to 60 days? What happened to 45 days? There's, there's a big difference between 74, the wish of 90, and 17 days. I think it's an act of desperation, panic. And if Adam was hoping for a shift in his stock, it hasn't happened. So the guy who had the headline, somebody had a headline saying AMC stock soars 17%. I don't know what soaring he's talking about. The stock's still at about uh, a measly $4, which is where it was right before the pandemic, during the pandemic, and at the end of the pandemic. So I don't think this deal will close. 
I think industry insiders don't agree with it. I think we are partners. And as partners, we have a say. This unilateral interpretation from a bandwidth selling company like Comcast is just ridiculous. And, you know, I think it's time that they divest of Universal and just move on to selling bandwidth again. Well, you said that industry insiders don't agree with it. Are you talking to specific insiders, whether they're from studios or from market analysts, possibly other exhibitors, maybe? Is anybody reaching out to you and asking you about what you think and telling you what they think about this particular deal? I've had more calls from financial institution people, basically meaning equity funds, hedge funds, people who hold the bonds, people who hold the debt of AMC asking, do I know something that they're not understanding? Because in many senses, AMC is putting at risk the bonds and the debt that's owed to some of these people by, in all intents and purposes, reinventing a model that doesn't match. I mean, if I'm going to use Mookie's words from Cineworld, it's going to be, you know, a cold day in hell before anybody agrees to this on in his company, I mean, we're not going to go for it in Canada. I mean, I corrected Patrick when he said, you know, it was a North American deal. And I said, no, 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 it doesn't include Canada. And, you know, and somewhere along the way, even the studio insiders that I speak to on a regular basis are confused. They just don't understand how this came, how much desperation does somebody need to be in to go from 74 days to 17 days. You know, it took us 24 hours to get what I would call 90% of the deal on paper and understand it, it makes no sense on a financial level for any exhibitor, and especially not one that's got $5.5 billion debt. And like I said, I would be very surprised if this deal actually gets done. So I suspect there'll be big changes before we get to the opening of Candyman and before this can even be implemented. There is not one studio that has tried to convince me that this deal made sense. There's not one exhibitor that's that's agreed to this. And there's not one bond or debt holder of AMC that said to me, we understand it. We like it. Nobody's gone with this. So I'm sitting there and I'm saying like, why would you make an announcement? And the only thing I see is somebody hoping that before the plug gets pulled on him, his stock can go up to maybe five, six, seven bucks. He can cash out on some stock. And hopefully get a, a better package of retirement. But I, I don't think that's going to happen. His stock hasn't moved. It's, it's there. It, it just And when a stock doesn't move like this, what I'm interpreting by that is people don't believe in the deal and people just, everybody's saying, we're just staying stable. Well, you mentioned other exhibitors signing on and other studios signing on. Disney has never said they wanted to shorten the theatrical window. If anything, they, they like the theatrical window. And when I first read this, I think it was Matt Baser, Matthew Baser over at, Flick's Brewhouse, and I was on the Dine-In Cinema call, the weekly call that they do, and he mentioned that there was something, some news from AMC, and I quickly read it, and I said, well, this isn't going to fly if you don't have other studios jumping on, but more importantly, you don't have other exhibitors agreeing to this, because there is no way that if you're Universal Pictures, you can open a movie with just AMC, AMC, which, by the way, has its own private label on-demand service, so... Wouldn't somebody tell Adam Aaron this? And also, you mentioned Cineworld. Do you think that what Mookie is doing, he kind of, I mean, I'm being the devil's advocate here, but the way he posed his statement was that he hadn't seen the deal, but that it makes no business sense, which almost to me seems like he was saying, well, 
if it makes some financial sense, if you give me the right terms, I might do this. And are there any terms where this makes sense? Well, at a certain point, some people were saying, what was the upfront check that somebody wrote? And I said, well, we're going to have to find out. And, and there is no upfront check based on bondholders and on debt holders. I'm not hearing that there's an upfront check. Second of all, I'm not even convinced it would be legal for somebody to pay an upfront check to then dismantle whole industry and give a competitive advantage to AMC or not. So that's another debate. But I don't think Mookie's comment is, give me the right terms and condition and maybe I'll accept this. I think Mookie's trying to be polite and saying, I'm not going to accept something this ridiculous. And you got to remember, it's not about not working together. We know the studios have a problem, right? The problem is that most business models are built on the success stories of an industry, you know, which means the top five or 10, 15 movies in a year. Now, the problem is that these guys are trying to resolve another problem, which is the failures of the release schedule. The movies that, oh my God, we put money in this project, we lost money, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. How do we recoup our money? Somewhere along the way, we as an industry have to remember that we did a favor in the mid-2000s by taking every single straight-to-video picture and showed them through our platform. We damaged a bit of the credibility of our platform in doing that as an exhibition business. But ultimately, like I said, I don't think anybody who wants to remain in the theatrical business will want this deal. Not from Disney, not from Warners, not from Paramount. Nobody wants this deal per se as is. Do they want a shorter window? Would they like to be at 60 for the flops, as I call them? Probably. And that's a discussion that we've had over the last five to 10 years. I think the real concern is that we've had no evidence whatsoever that a PVOD model or a combination of various models will ever substitute the film rental that a studio can make on a successful theatrical release. In other words, I don't see a model where somebody's put the numbers together and said, I can actually make 500 million as a studio out of this. Nobody's ever released one of those. Even the $100 million Trolls 2 success story, supposedly, let's be serious. I mean, you can con industry outsiders, but you can't con the industry insiders on this one. We all know $100 million is peanuts compared to what Trolls 1 did, compared to the film rental Universal did, compared to its streaming after, compared to everything else it did after, you're still at peanut numbers for Universal. Second of all, it was a very particular time. 80% of the world was confined to their homes and all you do is $100 million? You're not impressing me. You want to impress me, you give me a billion dollar number, which no VOD numbers even gotten remotely close to. So, I mean, if Universal thinks and AMC think that they can just make announcements and media will go along with it and, and the industry will be conned into, look, nobody's buying shares of a con right now. And this is, for me, this press release is almost like a con. Like we're trying to convince people that there is a new model coming to the movie industry in America. That's not happening yet. We're far from that. I can guarantee you the pushback hasn't fully been felt, but there will be a huge pushback. Now, Maria, I'm sure you're extra happy that AMC does not have any screens north of the border. But what I wanted to ask you, and this was a point that Vincenzo made very well, which is that, of course, 
the deal that was announced only applies to the United States, does not apply to Canada, does not apply to the rest of the world. So there'll have to be separate negotiations for AMC's properties in Europe and the Middle East. But what I wanted to ask you is the whole COVID-19 pandemic and also now this AMC Universal thing has thrown sharply into relief the fact that North America isn't strictly one market. It is two very distinct markets in some regards, and that's been highlighted, hasn't it, recently? Yes, it has. And first of all, I want to say to Sperling, thank you for lobbying that question to Vince and not to me. (laughs) (laughs) He is definitely our unofficial spokesperson here. Yes, Patrick, to your question, absolutely. We are a different territory, as Vince says many times, you actually need a passport to come into Canada from the U.S. Our borders are now closed with the U.S. And it was evidenced yesterday with the announcement that that tenant would be opening here before markets in the U.S. So something that we were hoping for and fighting for, certainly we are now officially open in all provinces to varying degrees of restrictions. So we are, you know, preparing ourselves for tenant and we are ready, able, and willing to open our doors for our customers to come in, for sure. So I'm sure there are Nolan fans who are hoping to see the border restrictions lifted so they can sneak across the border and catch the film in Canada before they watch it at home, I suppose. But one issue which I know has been big in Canada is the fact that in terms of the restrictions placed on cinemas, they vary sometimes greatly between provinces. So can you talk a little bit about that, what you're trying to do if any of those restrictions has been made. And then I want to take that question over to Vincenzo in terms of how it's impacting him and his business. Absolutely. So we opened officially about a month ago in the West. Each province is quite different. The Movie Theatre Association of Canada provided some suggested guidelines for theatre owners, which we had to get approved in every single province. So we're happy to say that they have been approved. We are are limited. 30% capacity to 50% capacity, depending on province. And in other areas, it's caps of 50 to 100 people per auditorium in Quebec. Thanks to a lot of Vince's work on this issue, they'll be up to 250 by August 3rd. So now that we've gotten all the provinces open, our eyes are pivoting to try to get those caps increased in a safe manner, obviously. So we're starting our discussions with the provinces on this now. I literally just got off the phone with Manitoba. So our strategy now is to try to get those caps increased. I knew that one day we would get Manitoba into the CJ Cinema Summit. (laughs) But throwing my question over to Vincenzo, how are you being impacted by the restrictions and what would you like to see changed? Right now, I got to be honest, the restrictions haven't really... How can I tell you? So when we first reopened on the 3rd of July, knowing that we had back then Tenet on the lineup on the 17th of July, we had said, it's okay. We've got 50 people maximum per screen, two seats distanciation in the same row, but we can use every row. Okay, we'll get to 25% capacity roughly. So I guess we'll just have to give 50% of the complex to Tenet. Then we were told, but don't worry about it. By the time we get to the 17th of July, we'll probably bring you up to 50%. So we said, okay, that's great. That'll give us a week of Tenet, 50%. Then we can drop Tenet down to 25% of the auditoriums. And then Mulan will open and they'll and they'll get 
And we're still working with this. So because the movies moved, the restrictions really didn't impact us. In other words, we're at, because we're Quebec and we have our own native grown movies, because I released some movies in my theaters, which I own and I distribute, I'm at about 10, 15% of where I should be on an average week. So with a 25% capacity, I'm okay. I mean, I haven't sold out. The 250, I believe, is more of a psychological barrier that we've broken by saying as of the 3rd of August, we can now have 250 in an auditorium. Because the truth of the matter is I'm still going to be at about 50%. And once I'm at 50%, I can still accommodate. My yearly occupation rate is closer to 35, 40. So 50, we're good. Tenet will still have the big majority of the screens because when it does come out, it will require the seating and we'll do it. I think the biggest impact to the reopening of theaters was not the, the government restrictions in, in, in all intents and purposes, but was the titles moving over and not having, you know, what was interesting clients to come. Even the wearing of the mask, which was obligatory in common areas, wherever you moved, you had to wear a mask. Once you sat in the auditorium, you can take out your mask. That, I think, was also a positive message, though I was very worried about it. But psychologically, I think it's helped a lot of people feel, oh, okay, everything's in place for me to go to a secure movie and, and watch you know, a movie in a secure atmosphere. 250 means to the regular, to Madame Tout-le-Monde, as we like to say in French here in Quebec, it basically means the government is saying, we can congregate 250 people in an auditorium and we're safe to go. So it just helps the deconfinement or the going out process more than anything else. Well, we have some questions from the audience that actually relate to government. I guess I'll, I'll throw this one up first. Whether big movies like Unhinged and Tenet, whether these movies coming into theater source, if people actually show up, which we believe they will, will that help the government kind of agree? to let more people into cinemas, or will it really depend on health? And I guess maybe, Nori, if you want to answer that first. Sure. I don't think it will move the needle with the government. In Canada, the provincial governments are very, very locked in with the chief medical officers. They're taking their cues from the scientists and from the public health authorities. So even though we can say, look, we're open for business, you want to get this country back up and running, they have taken a very measured approach here. I don't think that's going to change. You know, there's a lot of people that want to go to restaurants and bars and the needle hasn't moved for them either. So I think the biggest thing that we're trying to do is to get ourselves separated from the category of restaurant and bar, which many provinces have bulked us into. We are a much safer space than a restaurant or a bar, obviously. And since we've been open, we've had no contact tracing back to any of our theaters for any new cases. So to answer your question, I don't think it's going to move the needle, but we'll certainly put it to them. Absolutely. A successful showing, you know, it gives us more ammunition. And I guess the same question would go to you, Vincenzo, although I guess I would uh, kind of tweak it a bit and, and ask whether you believe people are willing and ready to come back to cinemas. I think people are ready to come back to cinemas. And, and I think that the question and the principles of before COVID still exists. You can have the nicest theater in the world. You can have the most comfortable seats in the world. You can have the largest screen. You can do whatever you want. 
The fact of the matter is, if you don't have the right content of what people want to see, people won't show up. It's as simple as that. I mean, there's no arguing there. Will this help the government? You know, will we be able to move the, the needle? On a short-term basis, I think Nuri is 100% right. No, it, it will not, because the government say, I don't care. I have to think of public health. What I think will help medium term is if we accommodate, call it 5,000 people on a weekend or on a Saturday night who came to see Tenet in one complex, and we can show that three weeks later, four weeks later, there's been no outbreak from our theaters, and we've accommodated all kinds of these people, then yeah, then I think we have some basis, some argumentation with the governments and say, look, at the end of the day, people have come and, and we've had no issue. Now, you've also got to remember, you know, this is how particular every region of Canada is. It's one country with very different cultural ways of thinking. In Quebec, we were not lumped in, for example, with the nightclubs and the restaurants. We were lumped in with live theater. So now I have a 400-seat largest auditorium being compared to a 3,000-seat Broadway-ish looking kind of auditorium. And I'm saying, but it's two different things. Mine are 48-inch rows. The other guys are still at 36-inch rows. You know, one's got 17-inch seats. We have 24-inch seats. And I think what Nuri and I had a lot of work to do was to re-educate our governments. Somebody in our government once told me, how do we guarantee the security of projectionists? And I sort of looked at them and I said, what are you talking about? Says, well, you know, the projectionist. And, so you mean the iPad that I touched to make the movie go on? Because there is no projection, right? So there's a lot of those things. The other thing is we need to remember that the average moviegoer, without us even having thought about this, practices distanciation. In other words, you walk into a 200-seat auditorium. There's 50 people in the theater. You're not going to go sit next to somebody else you don't know. I mean, it's it's just a known fact, right? It's a, So we have to actually educate our governments with that. And I think that the people who have come back, and we've noticed it in my theaters at least, it's a lot of the families who has not come back in a very awkward way is the teenager. I would say the 18 or the 15 to 25, 30-year-olds, they've not come back yet. Why? Because their movies the Tenets, the Mulans, the Unhinged have not been released. We've just postponed it. The family pictures, they've come back. I mean, you know, parents have an issue. They've got to entertain their kids. And so they've come back. So I have no worry whatsoever about the right picture coming out and people coming back. Well, while we're on the topic of the government, Noria, this is probably a question for you. Basically, why is the Canadian government so adamant about ignoring movie theaters when it comes to, I guess, I don't want to say bailouts, but government assistance. And what do you think? Is the government of Canada ignoring movie theaters? It's not that they're ignoring us. They did put a lot of measures in place, like wage assistance, rent abatement, tax relief. The government of Canada in general wasn't doing bailouts for any industries. Now, have there been pockets of money that have been given to production? Yes, to certain other segments of industry, absolutely. We fight on a daily basis to get any kind of money that we can for movie theaters. We had an announcement yesterday from Telefilm, which is our national body that looks after production and the cultural sectors that are related to heritage, that they are starting to give out some money. The problem with that is that it 
sometimes onerous and complicated to go through the application process. But yes, absolutely. It's something that we're doing on a daily basis is approaching the federal and provincial governments. And to Vince's point, it's about education. It's shocking to me that they know so little about our particular sector within the industry. The first thing we did was contact the federal and provincial governments to say, look, we are a very unique industry. We have zero revenue coming in. We can't do takeout for the most part. I mean, there's some popcorn takeout, but for the most part, we are down to zero dollars. And if you don't help us, 30% of you know theaters across the country will shutter forever. So we have been trying to drill that in. It has not been easy. And the government is reticent to start any kind of new programs that they haven't already announced. So where we can, we're trying to get the measures that have been announced extended. And we've been successful in various degrees. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that, that we are literally doing on a daily basis. It seems that most of the other questions we have are all AMC related. So I want to circle back to that and get back to Vince again and really ask you, it's like you talk to people. How does something like this come about? Obviously, Adam Aaron painted himself into a corner when he said that they would not show any Universal films, maybe not checking that Universal now had distribution rights to the new Bond film. And then suddenly he comes out with this 17-day window, which just, you know, bolt out of the blue sky. Now we know that there are clever people working at AMC. Surely he must have advisors and they must have done some sort of calculation. There must be discussions that had been going on. So what were you picking up on in the run-up to this or even afterwards? I think we all have to remember the history behind uh, Adam as president of AMC, right? I think his first comment as president, I think it was within a month, he said that he had no issue with teenagers text messaging in auditoriums. And then he had to backtrack a few hours later when somebody told him, you do realize a movie theater is a dark room. And when you text message, and if there's 15 teenagers text messaging in a room, you're lighting up the whole room and you're bothering everybody or whatever. So Let's get something clear. You know, Adam is not a reference for other presidents in the movie industry. In fact, Adam should go back to what he knows what to do, and running movie theaters is not his thing. As for the best people at AMC, many of them have been fired by Adam to try and reduce his overhead. And so we've now lost that expertise at AMC. As for Bond, Candyman, whatever a studio has. I can guarantee you that the belief was always, you know, in the exhibition business, you can get into one argument a year with only one distributor at a time. You can't fight all distributors at the same time. So you got to choose one. And Universal has been antagonizing the exhibition business now for a number of years with crazy demands without having the product or the, you know, the content to back it up. And I think that like I said, I, I think this is an exit strategy for Adam. I think it's purely a stock trying to move up play. I don't think he's thinking like an exhibitor because there is no validity. Like I said, once again, there is no business plan out there, no business model, no tests by any exhibitor and or distributor uh, or studio that validates 17 days in this model and the impact of it is ridiculous because it's not proven, right? So even my refusing it, for example, could be seen as, yeah, but you don't have enough data. And I said, you're right. But so I would go slowly towards 
lowering the windows. And that's what we've done. We've always, Nuri has been part of some of the discussions where we said, look, we're not going to go from 92 to, to, to day and day with streaming or VOD. I mean, we're going to do it gradually. We're going to see what the impact is. We're going to see what the impact is, is not only to us. People need to now understand that at least in North America, we keep less than half of the box office. So when we talk about an impact, the impact is on both partners that are part of this deal. So, you know, once again, I know that AMC is the largest exhibitor in the world. But if, if there's a time where size doesn't matter or size isn't equivalent to knowing what you're doing is today more than ever. When you look at a company like AMC, who's at the brink of bankruptcy and there's middle size exhibitors or small exhibitors who are able to just navigate through this. You know, they're paying their bills. They're trying to get some relief more to cover the insecurities, you know, of when will movies be released or so forth. But a lot of the smaller middle-sized exhibitors are doing relatively fine considering the situation. What's funny is how a huge Goliath-sized company like AMC crumbles, you know, within days of COVID. They're, they're already crying, you know, that, that they weren't going to get through. Vince is right. Odeon has lost some of the best people here in Europe. You could say they were middle management, but they were also people with genuine connections in the local markets indifferently and the reorganization that didn't always make sense, at least externally. But the point that Vince made about being struck by this pandemic so hard has always, to me, made me wonder, because if any cinema operator in the West should have been prepared for this, it should have been AMC. They are owned by Wanda. They're owned by the biggest Chinese cinema chain that had to show up before anybody. So surely they must have had discussion and said, hey, look at what's happening here in China. You know, maybe you should think about it. Maybe you should worry about that or at least put it into your calculations. And yet on the quarterly investment calls that came up, Adam Aaron seemed to be writing it off, seemed to be downplaying the risk of this in the run up to COVID. And then bang, there was a big shut up. I really don't understand the structure of how it works, especially there between AMC and China, if you are not prepared for what happened based on everything that happened to your parent company. Well, you know, they've always said, AMC has always said, you know, we're, we're not beholden to the parent company and, you know, the parent company doesn't control us. I guess he just proved that. But, <laughs> but uh, let me ask you this, and this probably is a question for Vincenzo. And I heard this from a number of exhibitors that this 17-day window could work potentially if there were some concessions, such as I don't have to play your horror film at 10 a.m. And I don't have to play your animated film at 10 p.m. And you're going to give us more films. So the art house title goes away. When I want to play an art house title in Little Rock, Arkansas, I don't hear, well, you know what? It's only allowed to play in Los Angeles and New York. Should exhibitors be open to variable windows negotiated for each title? I mean, that could be a lot of work. What do you think, Vincenzo? So I'm, I'm going to tell you like this. I mean, I'm not a big fan of the hard line, you know, for example, if you're open for five shows a day, my movie's got to be full screen, five shows or whatever. But I understand where it comes from. You got to remember, historically, this business is one of if you do something once, you're going to be forced to do it again. My grandfather used to say that to me. You know, he says, now that you're getting married, don't ever do something once for your wife. You don't want to have to do a second time because you will do it if you do it once, right? So if one doesn't go through, two will never. So that's the philosophy of this business. So 
the truth of the matter is this. I've been saying this now for a number of years, and Nura's heard me say this in, in meetings. I say to, to people, the problem is there used to be a business called Straight the Video. We've eliminated that, and now it's everything goes through theaters, and then it goes to the streaming platforms or whatever. So I encouraged my studio partners to do the same. I said, you know what, guys? You don't have to release 48 pictures this year. You're going to release 24 good ones that deserve to be going to theaters, that deserve to do the event kind of experience. The other 24, you want to advertise on our screen, that's fine. We can talk about it. But you can release straight to Netflix, release where you want. So for somebody to say to me, you know, can we start splitting your picture for 17 days? The truth of the matter is this. What I would tell you, and this is where the trust factor occurred. If everybody remembers, we were at 120 days at a certain point. And the people who modified that were actually Walmart and Target because they were 95% of the DVD sales. And they would say to you, you released a picture in September, a kid's picture, and I need that picture for Black Friday, U.S. Thanksgiving. So I don't care how many days it is. And the studio said, you know, we're going to bow down to Walmart's desire. So my concern now is when the bowing down comes from a Comcast, who's a bandwidth salesman, who owns my supplier, I'm not that interested anymore to actually let Universal unilaterally decide anything in my business. I actually want to go back to the days where studios were independently owned and we worked as a team, and we all did what we had to do. Remember, I come from the days of movie theaters, and many of you, I'm sure, will remember this, where we played the movie, and only months later would we determine the film rental. And everybody would say, all my bankers would say to me, are you guys crazy? How do you guys agree 52 weeks later on Titanic that the film rental is going to be this? It's because we have a relationship and we have another potential Titanic coming up that keeps us honest. The new way of doing business is a way of mistrust. It's a way of almost like I want a prenup and it's a one-sided prenup. And it's also a prenup that I can in any way add in new conditions and I can unilaterally decide what I want. So I would tell everybody who's feeling, well, maybe we should look at this. I would tell everybody, take a hard stance on it, push back, punish Universal if you can, and everybody else is going to start renegotiating. And then we'll eventually work for a 60-day, I guess, and everybody will develop a new model and we'll lose a few pictures and maybe we'll have less unofficial tide selling, let's say, because we'll call it unofficial because what you were saying is somewhat illegal in Canada where... You're going to play my good picture only if you play my bad picture. So let's not admit that we've suffered any of those conditions because I don't want to get a call from my competition bureau on that one. And Nuria yeah, is here, so, so she will yeah, definitely be uh, stopping you from saying that. It's not somewhat illegal, as we know, Vince. <laughs> that said, we do have some audience questions. We do have people coming in from all over the world. Cesar Robles is telling us that Mexico City government has just released the new rules for cinemas being open. But one of the problems is that you can't have food. There's no concessions. At the same time, we have a question. Do you think cinema advertising business is going to 
be hurt by this. I mean, what are you hearing from your exhibitors, Noria? I mean, with reduced capacity, does cinema advertising go away? And what's going to happen if you can't serve concessions? Is that also going to happen in Canada? Luckily, no. We were able to convince the governments that concessions is a major part of our business. And we're also able to convince them that people could take their masks off while eating and drinking within the auditoriums. Luckily, we don't have that restriction here. They started to do it with the drive-ins for a strange reason, but they rescinded on that. In terms of the advertising, that's a really, really good question. Obviously, each company has their own deals with their advertisers. And I have not heard of any dips in that business. You know, I, I think the, the proof will be in the pudding in the next couple of months and we'll see how that kind of lands. But, you know, most of these deals are probably yearly, multi-year deals. So obviously each company will have to negotiate their own issues with their advertisers. But I have not heard anything so far. Yeah, I was just going to say, Vincenzo, what are you hearing uh, from screen advertisers, number one? And number two... How are you planning to do concessions? What are the plans for concessions? So concessions have been uh, unaffected by us. In, in other words, when they opened the drive-in theaters, were still not allowed to open. I got to be honest, I think the only reason why the government forbid concession sales in the drive-ins for the first two weeks is because it took two more weeks for the government to open up restaurants, right? So if restaurants are closed, why is it that a snack bar, let's call it that, in a drive-ins open that so they didn't want to have the backlash from the you know the restaurant owners association so that's why they probably did that and then once restaurants were open those restrictions were gone i think we've explained that why it makes sense to allow them to open uh, you're eating you're actually swallowing your saliva because you're not talking so you're not spreading the germs in all intents and purposes when it comes to the advertising what we've done is we've gone from obviously we were closed so zero on-screen advertising. We do have a, a deal with some of our suppliers, you know, our, our consumables in our theaters. Those deals have still gone through. We've got to do a makeup good on them for coming months. I think everybody's going to wait for the release of Tenet. And I think then you'll get the, you know, call it the, the Roger of this world, the, you know, the Telesis. And they'll probably come back and try and negotiate our agencies by saying, you know, if you guys are at 50% capacity and you're only having 50% of your regular business, you should be charging me only 50% of your regular rate card. That's where I'm expecting this to go. But everything really depends on how quickly we get back to a successful movie opening up like an Unhinged, like a Tenet, you know, like a Mulan opening. If we get back to those movies and those movies are generating the same number they would traditionally be generating in Canada, for example, Pre-COVID, I think advertisers are going to rush back to movie theaters to do the on-screens and everything. So I don't think we'll have a problem there. It's all going to be box office driven. That's what it is. Well, we have one last grouping of audience questions. And are you pleased, and maybe this we can ask Noria, are you pleased at, at, at how Canada is, is helping protect its citizens and whether that translates to business and cinema restrictions? And what can the states do to follow? But the other question was... Who is timid of being first, the studios to release or theaters to open? I mean, what are you hearing, Noria? Well, I mean, I think it's a bit of a chicken and an egg. I mean, we're open, but what my independent theaters are saying is we're open, but until we get content, you know, it's sort of a futile exercise. So I think that once the studios get confidence that the customer is happy to come back, 
obviously, hopefully they'll start to release their films. For Canada, we had an announcement today opening up Ontario, which is, I think, going to be a big notice to our distribution partners to say we are up and running in Canada in a big way because most of the screens are in Ontario in Canada. So I think that's going to be a big signal to our distribution partners. In terms of the other question, you know, we had to do a lot of work educating our public health authorities across the country about the risks of being in a theater and how we're mitigating them and how they are not greater than any other industry. And if we can abide by social distancing measures, then we should be you know, allowed to open as other retail sectors have. So there was some disconnect in certain provinces between politicians who wanted to get businesses up and running and the public health authorities who were sort of dictating how that was going to roll out. So we had to do a lot of work in terms of talking to the politicians, but also sending in a lot of our stringent protocols and a lot of information about how exactly we were going to keep our customers safe. The other thing about our situation up in Canada is that this pandemic has not polarized us. It has not been a situation where some people think it's a hoax, some people refuse to wear masks. For the most part, we have really abided by what our scientists and what our public health officials have relayed to us in terms of safe openings. And I think that has helped in terms of getting customer confidence back up and also the government's confidence that we can actually run our businesses and our theaters in a safe manner. Final word each from Noria and Ben. So, Noria, if I could start with you, which is really just, do you have any final words or messages for, first of all, your members who might be watching this, and secondly, to the cinema community globally at large? Thanks, Patrick. First of all, thank you again for having us on. I'm seeing in the comments that there's a couple of Vince for President hashtags. So, Vince, you have a new... uh, Club. It's great. I mean, I think that, you know, we remain optimistic here in Canada. Obviously, this has been unprecedented times. I think that we are starting to see some lights. And I think that we should remain optimistic and we will continue to fight the fight in terms of what we can do for the industry. Vince is on the board of the National Association and has been a tremendous help in terms of helping to open up different territories. So, we will continue to do that. And I think that we will, at the end of it, hopefully we will all come out of it okay. And final question to Vince from me, which is, you're very well known in Canada, being one of the dragons on Dragon's Den, known south of the border as Shark Tank. So I want to ask you is, is cinema still a good investment? I think so. You know, I think ultimately it's illusionary to believe that we will all live home and not leave our homes and cook our own meals and live in a COVID world. I mean, I've had arguments with some of my best friends' wives about, will we ever be shaking hands again? And I say this to a lot of people. I say, you know, what has allowed humanity to exist for as long as it has, it's his ability to repress the traumatic experiences in life. And and a lot of people don't realize that that's a fundamental principle in psychology and in psychiatry that if we had to live and remember everything negative that's ever happened to us, we just couldn't function. We'd, we'd be nutcases. And so so people are going to forget. People will go back to the movies. People will, I think, if we look historically, pandemics, great recessions, anything that's hurt the positiveness of our time has usually resulted in a 
six to seven year boom in the movie business, in the entertainment business. I think what's very important for the many exhibitors that are out there and the few distributors that thought it would be interesting to listen to what I had to say today is we all have to remember that one movie does not make our industry. So if it means we got to pass on a movie, you pass on the movie for your integrity and for standing up. If your financials are at a situation where you can't afford to pass on a movie, the problem isn't the movie. The problem is you're running your financials the wrong way. And that's basically AMC's problem. So, you know, if there's anything I can say and help anybody is to say the movie business will survive because it is a money-making industry that is not yet found a substitute for that model. The various substitutes that everybody's trying to bring, PVOD, VOD, streaming, call it whatever you want. TVs existed for as long as movies have, and it hasn't been able to substitute us. So it's not bandwidth selling that's going to substitute us. That's for sure. People need to congregate. They need to do it in a certain way where they're saying I've congregated, but, but, but we don't have to shake hands and we don't have to talk to each other. And that's what a dark movie does. A dark auditorium tells us I can get scared with you without having to ask you your name. I can laugh with you without having to ask you your name. I can cry with you and have empathy with you, but we don't have to know each other. So it's socializing without, you know, the violation of my privacy. And the last thing I'd like to say is if anybody wants to, you know, sort of reach out to me because I see all of my fan clubs for president of the United States here. I really like that part. You know, reach out to Patrick and make sure he has my email. And Patrick, you can share my email. I'm more than happy to exchange with people on social media or via email. I think it's very important that we as exhibitors stand up. And we didn't choose Universal. Remember that. We didn't choose this fight with Universal. Universal chose to bring the fight to us. Over a year ago, they announced their colors were trolls. And now they're trying to entrench themselves. You know, let's show them that exhibitors are warriors and we're willing to fight for our industry. And what a great way to conclude the summit. And you heard it there straight from the dragon's mouth, also known as Mr. Sunshine. Do follow him on Twitter. I strongly encourage it. He doesn't hold back there either. But I really like to thank now all of our summit guests today. So starting with Demetrius, Nuria, and of course, Vince. If he's not basically running for political office in the autumn, I'm pretty sure we're going to have him back. So, and with that, we would just like to thank all of the people again who made this possible, including the ones behind the scenes, Bone Grail and The Big Picture, and of course, my co-host, Sperling. So thank you very much to all of you. Hope to see you back here next week. Take care. And remember, cinema will be back. <laughs>